It's Song Talk Radio. Welcome to Song Talk Radio. This is a show with songwriters talking to other songwriters about the craft of songwriting. We share tips, tools, and techniques, and together we all become better at writing songs. I'm your host, Neil Modi, and with me, my co-host, Phil Emery. How you doing, Phil? Checking in from St. John's, Newfoundland. I'm doing just fine. Awesome. How's the weather out there in the East Coast? Um, actually quite sunny and mild at the moment, but apparently there's a big storm coming tomorrow or, or Saturday. Yep. But I tend to not always believe them because sometimes it turns out to be much ado about nothing. So we'll find mm, out. I true guess. that. But if it's, if it's like, if it's a storm that we just got here today, then yeah, it's coming your way. And it was pretty nasty here today. Oh, was it? Okay. It was hailing and rain and wet and mucky and windy okay. as hell. Anyway, uh, please send your comments. Questions, weather reports to at Songtalk Radio on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Feedback at songtalk.ca for the email, and we'll share your thoughts on the show. And please visit songtalk.ca to see the show post for this episode, to find links to resources we mention, and to download lyric and chord sheets to follow along with the songs that we feature. And uh, before we get to tonight's guest, just a couple of uh, things. We, uh, we shared something on our uh, Songtalk Radio Facebook page. Uh, one of our previous guests and superstar singer-songwriter, um, Jacob Moon, um, if you heard him on the podcast, he's had some, he's been with us a couple times, and uh, he's an amazing singer-songwriter, and he also does uh, live looping, and we actually did an episode with him uh, where he was uh, demonstrating and talking about how he does his live looping, and he's the kind of guy, I've seen him perform many times, and he's the kind of guy that um, his live looping isn't isn't like a gimmick. It very much supports the song, and and he's really classy about it. Um, but in any case, he's doing live looping masterclass uh, tour um, coming to a town near you um, at Long and McQuaid um, uh, across, uh, looks like mostly uh, southern Ontario, uh, Belleville, Coburg, uh, Port Coquitlam. Uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. North York um, in Toronto, uh, London, Cambridge, Owen Sound, and, and Peterborough. And um, yeah, so if you're if you're interested in live looping, definitely go to go to one of those Long and McQuaid's. Um, check our Facebook page. Um, we'll, we'll put a link to the the post um, in the show post uh, for this episode. Uh, you can you can check that out. So absolutely. And for our international listeners, Long McQuaid is Canada's largest music retailer, and they have a store, sometimes multiple stores. I think in Toronto they have three. Three, maybe, yeah. Well, if you can't, Mississauga and Richmond Hill and Markham and everything, yeah. The yeah. The surrounding area, there's many. But uh, definitely they have stores pretty well all over Canada, including Newfoundland. So, mm -hmm. yeah, they're, uh, and they're very smart because they offer really, really good financing to basically just about anyone. And I've been buying stuff on time there since I was 15. So I can't imagine... Yeah. If I ever saw my account, what, how much money I've, I've dropped at that store? <laughs> I've I've burned a good amount of money there too, and there are they're always really customer service focused, and aren't, aren't they the biggest like like they are the biggest, vendor yeah. retail like a re, like retail lender? Yes, in Canada or something like that, like yes. more than car dealerships, they finance so much equipment for all these you know in debt musicians. <laughs> yes, they're the second largest financing company in well, Canada, largest. I believe. Yes, wow. Yeah, they also are distributors. They distribute Gibson and a bunch of other things. And, 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 they, and they have they have really good uh, rentals as well. You can always go and rent equipment from Long McQuaid. It's a good deal and yeah. a good way to try out stuff. And then if you buy something, if you buy the rental, then they'll knock 
whatever you spend or a portion of whatever you spent on the rental off the price of the purchasing yeah. it if you want to purchase it. So they, they're pretty good. Uh, pretty yeah, good they're really like good. Them. It's uh, Yes, they've been around for a long time, so very trustworthy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, and you got some other news you heard on the socials? Oh, uh, well, film I just that heard I about, um, I think, uh, David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, yeah. Nash, and sometimes Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Yeah, I just passed away. I think he was 86, I think. He was 86? I think he was. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I just, I literally heard this about 15 minutes ago. So, mm. yeah, it's a real drag. There's lots of people who are, um, I think we've had enough of that. Mm. Um, you it's, know? Yeah. It's going to be more as the years go on, for sure. Jeez. Yes, well, it's... It, all the big stars from that time. Um, oh, 81. Dave, uh, David Crosby dies at 81. Of course, he's been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, written multitude hit songs. And, uh, yeah, one of the giants from uh, Days Gone By. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our um, condolences go, go out to uh, his family and friends. And uh, I guess time takes its toll on us all. Yeah. So, like we were saying last week, get those songs done. That's true. Have you been working on anything this week, uh, Neil? No. <laughs> no? Okay. I've not had the chance this week. Although I did, I was playing a little bit around uh, before the show today, and, and for some reason my sustain pedal isn't working anymore. So there's that. <laughs> well, you get to buy something new. What's wrong with that? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's not working or just, I've, I don't know, software. <laughs> it's just not working the way it should. <laughs> you tried turning it off again, off and on again. I tried unplugging it. I tried unplugging my con- oh, really? con- uh, oh, okay. controller, everything. Uh, I don't know. I tried there's a polarity switch on it. I've switched it this way and that way. And uh, I have no idea what's wrong with it. <laughs> oh, dear. That's not good at all. Yeah. I actually got this one for free because when two two MIDI controllers ago that I that I bought, I had an old Roland pedal that I got with my Roland synthesizer back in like 1990 something. <laughs> And like early 90s and and that sustain pedal kept me for like 20 something odd years and didn't have a polarity switch. And then my new controller keyboard wasn't working. So I went back to Long and McQuaid. We were just talking about them, <laughs> my keyboard from them. And I was like, this one doesn't work with my this pedal's not work or the the, the keyboard. This, I, I thought there was something wrong with the keyboard because my pedal wasn't working with it. And they were like, no, you need one with the polarity switch. I'm like, what the heck is a polarity switch? Like some sustain pedals have polarity switches. So they just like literally grabbed something from their rental department, like out of a bin, like here, yeah. at this one. <laughs> they, just, they just gave it to me for free because I already bought the keyboard. Like, okay, thanks. <laughs> they're not very expensive. No, no, they're not. They're not. But you, get the, you get those really cheapy ones. They're just like the flat square thing. Yeah. I prefer the pedal that actually looks like a proper... Oh, I've got one of those too, but it's, yeah, so those are, those are a bit more expensive. A little bit more, but they're not. It's not It's not the most expensive thing you will buy for your studio by any stretch. <laughs> that is true. It's far from that. Okay. Okay, and uh, tonight uh, we're very happy to uh, welcome singer-songwriter Jason Pilling. And here's a little taste of his song, Protect the Cups. At their peak, we control the whole block with our bicycle game. Then the Cold War was over before I had my diploma. 
butterfly wing was putting money in our banks. So when I held you in my arms, I had the confidence to promise that everything would Jason Pilling is a singer-songwriter who draws lyrical content from a lifetime of being a regular nice guy with a math degree, and a nice little nuclear family, and 20 years of white-collar career experience. I celebrate the nuance of a normal life, Jason likes to say, by which he means he doesn't do love songs. Genre-wise, it's mostly folk, but Jason likes to tinker. What comes out reflects the tools on hand. His 2004 album Ambidextrous was guitar-vocal-driven because that's what he had. The 2019 album reflected uh, the explosion of what one person could do with guitar and with a guitar and a laptop. Since finally quitting his day job in 2020, sounds have been built, sampled, synthesized, and collaborated to release three EPs and 15 singles. Jason performs around Toronto and is in the middle of recording two more album projects in 2023. Welcome to Song Talk Radio, Jason Pilling. Thank you. Welcome to the show. And and, yeah, speaking of live performances, I met you at the uh, Transac. Yeah, um, which is the the club where we historically have held our songwriters meetup as well, our song talk uh, meetup in the in the other room, which is a, which was a great uh, a great performance. And um, so you've been you've been at this full time then for, for the last couple of years, then? Yeah, yeah it was uh, it was sort of a coincidence. It was a hundred percent coincidence that I I quit my my job and then lockdown started like literally the, the week later or something oh like that. Your I fault. did not plan to spend <laughs> the first year of my post day job in this room, but mm-hmm. that is basically what happened. Wow. I mean, it turned out to be a blessing. Everything is a blessing and a curse, right? It, it gave me time to really work on the craft. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, being uh, focused like that. And it's so easy to, you know, do all those other little things that are around the house when you're when you should be working on your songwriting and being locked up can really help. Yeah, that's never been a big problem for me. Like it's the exact opposite. I get a little too obsessed with the things that are going on in this room and mm-hmm. the the other things that are supposed to be done are getting pushed aside too much. I I know I know there's like a joke when I was a student, it's just like, you can never resist the urge to organize your sock drawer when you're studying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't have that problem when I'm working here. I'm going to think of it. My socks are pretty well organized. I wonder what that, wonder what that means. There's a song there, I think. <laughs> There's a song idea there. So, okay. So, so before you, you quit your day job, then how long have you been uh, tinkering around with uh, songwriting then? I think I was pretty serious and deep into it in sort of the latter half or the most of my university days. Um, I, my, I have a musical family. My dad was a music teacher and my brother was kind of like always like a few years ahead of me in this music activity. Um, so I, I started like seriously writing my own songs in like late high school. And, you know, before I was in university, I had a set that I'd could go out and play and stuff like that and um and then i basically i put a lot of effort into it uh until my daughter was born mm. um which you you don't understand how that's going to change your life until it happens right yeah. so yeah. but obviously it made a big change in how much time i could put into the song activity well it's an interesting 
situation you have because many people that we talk to uh, have have day jobs and you know they do songwriting on the weekends when they can. How do you organize your days? Are you do you do you treat like a nine to five job? Are you you know writing every day or do you have a schedule or how do you how do you make it work? Um, well. I don't draw any money from music, to be clear. So I'm no different than anybody else with a day job with respect to the financing of their music. Mm -hmm. uh, my music is, my activity is financed from savings. Um, so, uh, but like in terms of like, how do I structure it and stay focused and disciplined on it? Um, I'm, a, I'm a night owl. So I frequently work until... 2 a.m., which I wanted to say before I say, you know, my normal day starts at about 1030. <laughs> ah, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and I, I have like a mental warm up and then usually, you know, somewhere between noon and one, I will kick into creative mode and I always hit my stride in the middle of the afternoon and I'm just I'm usually down here doing something related to the musical activity. It's not always making music because sometimes it's about marketing or because, because that's part of the game. Now I make a lot of content. Um, so I'm, I'm down here, I'm doing something that is focused on trying to advance my music career. And then usually I pull out of this room at about six o'clock and do family dinners type stuff. And, and then I'm usually back down here by 8.30 and go until 2 a.m., at which point I need to shut off. Otherwise, I will not sleep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm sure if I did that, I'm trying to, trying to go to sleep at, at that time after all that creative activity, your mind must be a buzz with, like, ideas and what you could have done differently. <laughs> all yeah, sorts of things. I've, I've learned that certain activities are better in the evening. Okay. I do a lot of editing. Okay. And more administrative type functions mm. in the evening, I find. It's just kind of like a chill activity. Um, I'll often like edit v content videos in the evening. Like I, that's what I was doing last night. I was editing a video for 90 minutes until mm. 2 a.m. It's just kind of a chill activity. Just sit back and, and do that. And eventually, yeah, you do have to stop. Um, but sometimes you're just in the zone. I just keep on going. Um, but I know I have to stop at a certain point. Otherwise, I'll just get completely screwed up on a and schedule. How do, you, how do you deal with um, with writer's block? Have you ever you ever sit down at two o'clock in the afternoon and feel like well, now's my time to do this? And like you're you, you set yourself up to write a song, but nothing's coming out. Uh, to be honest, it hasn't been a problem at all really since I quit. Hmm. I. For the first, for the few years before I quit the day job, I used to go for long walks and I would write lyrics at, on my lunch hour. Mm. Um, and I would keep a notebook with me and I would be constantly tinkering and, and filling it. And I, but I think it's also, was just like, I got better at writing songs as I kept on doing more of them. And I became more natural about it. And now I don't really worry about it. I have more songs than I can record now. Oh. Um, so they seem to be flowing out of me at this stage. I like I'll have a I'll have an idea and I'll just kind of like 
usually I'll have an idea for like a verse or a chorus and I'll just kind of write that down and it just sits there. It's in Google Docs. And then eventually I'll come back around and sort of clean them up. Like for the, for the project I'm working on right now, that's exactly how it went, is that I had all of these like vignette ideas and I would write even like a one minute song and actually, I, I made content out of all of them. Like, that's how they first formed, is that I was just like, oh, this is a vignette idea. I'm going to do like this little song vignette. I make a little one minute video and I post it. And then in my mind at the time, it was like, oh, I'm done with these. I'll never come back to them. They're just like cute little ideas. But as I, as I kept on doing that series of these vignettes, I realized there's something here. This is, this is a thing that keeps on happening and it, it has a charm to it. And so that's the project I'm recording right now. And I call it post nursery rhymes because it's all of these kind of like little adult situations that you want to react to, which is kind of like, you know, there's social commentary and, are, are they, are they and, still those little one minute vignettes or are they, no, they, they all, built into larger they songs? They all grew up. Um, okay. I think one of the songs is still only two minutes in its mm. final length, but the rest of them are like three and four <laughs> minutes. Songs. Um, oh, was that ever neat? Yeah. 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 Like I came cool back idea. and just edited lyrics, wrote second verses. So are, are, it sounds like you're a lyrics first person. Is that generally 100%. true? Or? I I've tried writing songs the other way and I think I, I I've done it a few times but mm -hmm. I'm always about I always know what the lyrics are going to be when I sit down with whatever instrument I'm working mm -hmm. on I might not have all the lyrics formed mm -hmm. but I know something about what the lyrics are going to be before I write anything on a on an instrument usually you come up with the title first Mm, I'd say no. I mean, sometimes the title might be obvious, but sometimes I'll do like quirky titles um, that I, I think I think it's the thing that I would say is most central that I have to come up with first is what's the point? Mm -hmm. um, I think mm -hmm. the nature of my lyrics are I always I always am really driving at something. I have something to say. It may not be particularly profound, mm -hmm. um, but it's clear in my head, what is the point of this song? Um, so that's the most important thing to me. And then um, titling is kind of an interesting question because I mean, to me, titling is bait <laughs> from, a, from a marketing point of view. You know, if I titled my song, you know, the pumpkin that rode a bicycle or something like that, you'd at least be like, what is this song about a pumpkin that rides a bicycle? And, you know, I wouldn't like totally clickbait it, but sometimes I do that with titles. I just like, I want it to be something that will grab your attention. That's an important thing these days. You know, it's, uh, it's an important thing to do. You know, you, if you are wanting to get your material out into the market, you have to be conscious of how people perceive and your stuff might be the most amazing stuff in the world. But if people don't, don't have this um, little hook to make them go, Hey, what is that? Then you're just going to be ignored along with the 10,000 other songs that can't come out literally every day. Now that everyone has a recording studio in their laptop. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing pe- things people are going to see is they're going to see a title. They're going to see a cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or so, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I take both of those seriously in terms of what, what are they conveying? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the cover is really no limit or sorry. There's no limit on the title be as creative mm-hmm. as you want, but yeah. the cover is an interesting problem because you know, you could hire an amazing artist if you have unlimited budget for every cover. Um, well, I don't. Sometimes I make my own car. Sometimes I hire someone. <laughs> right. So let's talk a little bit about Protect the Cubs then, which, which is an interesting title in and of itself. But um, what, was the, what was the big idea behind, behind this one? What was the point? Um, so that one was actually unique um, in that it's, it's triggered by a really specific event, which is uh, an old friend from high school posted on Facebook that he was attending his first environmental protest on be- on behalf of his kids he said and i just immediately grabbed on to what that meant emotionally to uh feel like society was veering off in the wrong directions and the protect the cubs idea is like it's not my kids fault for sure It may not be my fault either, but I'm the adult in this situation, so I have to do something. And I just, it was, it was, it was a pretty emotional thing because, I mean, he's my friend and we're both geeks. Um, And I completely understood why this was a big event in his life to go out to a protest because I've personally never been to a protest. I, it would just like explode my sort of introvert brain and also my like everything's complex brain yeah and and i understood why it was so momentous for him and so that's what the song was germinated with and that's actually why there's two versions of the song on the ep um so i released i released the one that i wrote like in 90 minutes after that seeing that facebook post so the vignette is on the cd or on the on the release and then the, the, the one that you guys, I sent you, is the final version. So, you know, you're asking about, you know, how does it change? That's exactly how it changes. There's, a, there's like a 100 and 100 second version of it with kind of like some jokey lyrics. Okay. <laughs> it's called the no pants version. <laughs> <laughs> because the joke was uh, that, you know, he had to put on his pants because this was during pandemic. He had to put on his pants because he was going to a protest. Yeah, yeah. I know you better wear pants. Um, so is, is, that, is that the case? These are, are the, I mean, I know they're, they're I mean, they're, they're like your kids, all your songs, right? So we can't really take favorites, but are the developed songs objectively better than the vignettes? Sure. In the sense that uh, they're meant more for, I think, repeat listening. Hmm. Um, I think, I think the vignettes are just, you know, they're just, they're supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be attention grabbing. They're not, it's like pop art sort Mm. of. And I think when I form them, they may not always move that far from pop art because there's nothing wrong with pop art, but sometimes they get more serious. And in this case, that is definitely what happened is that the first one had a few jokes and the 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 final version does not have any jokes. No. <laughs> it's dead serious. It's not the funny <laughs> At least song. in my mind, it's dead serious. So 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 then it, it, it is it you putting yourself in in your friend's shoes and sort of 
um, or, or you, it, it sounds almost like you're, you're, you're almost taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture around this experience your friend had. Well, it just, it just resonated with me. Like I, he was going to an environmental protest and, and, you know, some of the lyrics I talked, like the second verse is about my own experience with, you know, being an environmental person. And, you know, I was, I was always trying to push more. Like, for example, when I used to be at work, I used to carry a fork in my back pocket when I went out for lunch. I had a metal mm-hmm. fork because I didn't want to use a plastic fork yeah. when I got to some fast. I thought that was one little thing I can do. I can carry this metal fork and I won't create another piece of plastic garbage. Mm-hmm. And I used to carry around a little water bottle for the exact same reason. So I would never create this waste that I could avoid creating. Mm-hmm. So I, that's, that's kind of what inspired the second verse there was that, you know, I was making all of this effort and it's, it's always, when you're that person that's making that effort is, it was always very frustrating to see, you know, I walk into a meeting room at work and there's a lineup of 10 disposable water bottles there. And just like, why do we need this? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what the second verse is about. It's like, you're trying so hard to make a difference and you feel like no one else cares. Yeah. Um, so I understood that part of it. And, you know, I feel that way about politics as well. Like my, I'm politically engaged. (laughs) I try not to be partisan, but that's different than being engaged. Right. (laughs) Um, and my daughter is as well. And we talk about politics all the time. Hmm. And so that, that was also resonating with me is like the politics of the situation and just, you know, the relationship with my daughter related to those kind of problems is all what came out in that song. And it, it all just sort of triggered with the idea with what my friend said. I think, I think that the trigger wasn't that I didn't have the feelings before, but when you see someone else doing the exact same thing, you realize that what you had was a common experience. And now you think, now it's a song idea before Mm. it was just an idiosyncratic jason thing now it's something that we can talk about together that's a a really interesting way to look at it because yeah i feel like you like when as soon as you get that commonality you can you can focus the attention and really make a story out of it at that point yeah yeah otherwise otherwise it is kind of a ephemeral sort of idea stuff but not really like what is it really about yeah yeah and i'm I'm, I'm not going to say like I'm neurodiverse or anything, but I'm definitely on various spectrums out there in the wilderness, um, super geek and stuff like that. So Mm. it's been a commonality of my life that I always wonder if the way I interpret events is normal. (laughs) Um, So when I see that other person interpreting things the same way, I lock onto that and Mm -hmm. say, okay, I was actually getting that one right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can relate to that for sure. All right. Okay. Well, should we take a listen? Yeah, let's take a listen to the full song, uh, Protect the Cubs by Jason Billing. Like Romans at their peak 
we control the whole block with our bicycle gang. Then the Cold War was over before I had my diploma. Every butterfly wing was putting money in our banks. So when I held you in my arms, I had the confidence to promise that everything would be alright. Didn't think much of it then, but now I'm worried that I can't deliver without a bite. Now I perform the garbage sorting, dancing through choices formed according. Curtain falls, I take a bow. I'm lying to myself. We've been waiting your whole life, but the appeal has been upheld. Back when I held you in my arms, I made a promise that everything would be alright. I didn't think much of it then, but. Now I'm worried that I can't deliver without a fight, so I'm going out to protest now. The truth is out more ways than one. It's the only thing I know for sure, and I'm trying to get it back for you. There's no forest left; you can't protect the cubs. Back when I held you in my arms, I made a promise that everything would be alright. I didn't think much of it then, but now I'm worried that I can't deliver without a fight. We, we, we talked a bit about the lyrics already, but the, the other thing I really love about this song is how the guitar part is so very specific and it totally holds the pulse of this song with being melodic at the same time. And it's just a great, great guitar part. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, the, the, I, I'm, a, I'm a drummer at heart. That's, that's, oh, my, okay. that's, my, that's my first instrument. And I'm like, you know, most, most of the songs I hear that are guitar and vocal, I'm like, ah, I'd love to play drums on this. Like it needs it. The guitar is the rhythm instrument here, as much yeah. as much of this old melody as well. It's, it's it's a great thing. Yeah, that was actually part of the design of the the EP. Um, that was partly inspired by listening to JJ Kale. If that rings a bell for you, of course, he was a very rhythmic, groove-oriented uh, guitar player who had interesting lyrics, and. Uh, I kind of said to myself, I want to, I want to make an EP, which is fundamentally what you get when you come see me live. Mm -hmm. But so then I had to think about how can I make songs that will stand on their own with 
almost no accompaniment. Now, you heard that there was a Rhodes on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole EP, except for the the fancy, the, the vignette version that got released, but the four main body songs, same instrumentation, but mm-hmm. they all have that same rhythmic guitar style. I recorded them all very... Uh, very much the exact same way. I was very deliberate about that. I set up mics like to the inch <laughs> in the exact same position so that it would feel like a continuous performance. This is all recorded in your in your home studio. All recorded right here. That's what this room is all about. Right on. It's amazing what you can do. It can be done, kids. <laughs> yeah, because the guitar tone is the, the other thing. The guitar tone is like really, really spot on. It's very nice. Thank you. Mm. Well, what's nice about the arrangement is that it's is that it's full, but it's um, it's not just the guitar. But there's you know the the Rhodes is a very gentle addition, mm-hmm. but it supports it without overpowering it. It's it's really nice. It just shows you don't need a lot sometimes to uh, you know to uh, to get something down that's emotional. Yeah, I think that was also a good constraint that I put on myself because I noticed, you know, previous to where I came up with the idea for this project, I noticed that I was, I was putting so much effort into making the guitar parts interesting Mm -hmm. that other things were suffering. And I decided on this project, like the guitar parts aren't going to be boring, but their job is just going to be to hold the rhythm and define the chord. Mm-hmm. And that way I had to put the rest all in the vocals. And it was just a good constraint that I put on myself because I noticed that I was writing, I think, better melodies because I couldn't lean on the guitar for that. Ah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's that whole idea. This is this has come up on the show a number of times recently, and in, in my own writing, it's come up quite a bit is this whole idea of simplicity versus complexity, right? If you throw in too much stuff at the wall, then the listener doesn't know what to focus on, or it's a whole multitude of stuff, which is fine. It's a thing, and then and that and that is an approach you can take. But especially if you want your your lyric to pull out, and and then then the lyric is very important to you, which clearly in this case it is. Then yeah, you want you want that guitar part to kind of take a bit of a backseat. It's not you're right. It's not boring. You know, and, and we have the benefit and our listeners will have the benefit. You look at the show post where I always post the, the lyric sheet up, up on, the, on the website for you to for our listeners to follow along. And it's the same thing when we when we do our songwriters meetup is that we always ask and most people do provide the lyrics. And it's a very different experience listening to a song, say, on Spotify in the background um, or on the radio or whatever, versus, you know, listening to it while you're reading the lyric sheet. Yeah, you know, and 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 some people even at the at the meetup are like, I don't want the lyrics. I just want to listen to the song on its own, on, on its on its face value, and that's and that's perfectly mm-hmm. valid too. But I think it's important to recognize that when you've got the lyrics in front of you and you're following along, you experience the song in a completely different way. At least I do. Yeah, I I, I do as well. And when I'm a listener, I'm very lyric focused mm-hmm. as well. I mean, to me, that's. That's what I, that's hundred percent what I listen to. Like my favorites are like Gord Downey, Amy Mann, Laura Veers, 
like all of these great lyric writers is mm-hmm. basically what I stuff in my ears all the time. <laughs> and are, are you always, um, these lyrics are fairly, I mean, you explained what the song is about and where it came from and everything, but on face value, you, you kind of get that idea, but it's a, it's a little bit poetic, you know, Romans and Cold War, and it almost sounds political at, that, at the top because it, it sounds almost like a protest song is where you're going, which, it, which in some ways it kind of is. But then when you get into the, the chorus is a lot more personal. Right. Which is which is which is very nice. But I guess my question is, are you you mentioned Gord Downey, like are all your lyrics in that more abstract, poetic kind of way? Um, or do you ever say it plain? Um, well, I think that, you know, I've studied Gord Downey quite a bit. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he has like the great metaphors like, you know, drop a caribou and, you know, the Willie Nelson, um, which I'm not sure if that immediately connects for you. But they didn't actually there were there were both good examples where I had no idea what they meant mm-hmm. when I first heard those metaphors. But still, they just sounded cool, right? Because there were interesting words to throw into a song like I don't know why they're even there. Um, and then eventually the meaning years later would become clear to me. And I thought that that is just the perfect result. <laughs> so I, I will try to do stuff like that. But the other thing, I mean, there was a good example in that song of a lyric that I left hanging. Um, it was uh, about the, um, when I was, I don't have it in front of me dancing through um choices and form yeah according to yeah according according to or according to but i didn't say who yeah or Mm. what yeah and that was that's a gord downey trick Mm. he always he's constantly leaving things hanging like that and so yeah i'll do stuff like that now whereas i think in my earlier songwriting, I would be like, I need to define who it was according to, because otherwise I haven't completed the thought. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I've become much more free flowing about that type of stuff where I want the song to be coherent to me, but I'm much more open to the idea that you could get something completely different out of it. And that is a hundred percent cool. Yeah. And that's really the advantage of those kinds of lyric where you leave things hanging or, or metaphors that could be interpreted a number of different ways. And it's, it, it, you know, that makes a thing too. I'll admit that like, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite of you. I'm, I'm very much music focused. I don't really listen to lyrics as such, um, or at least try to decipher their meaning um, upon first listen, maybe on later listens of a song I really like. But, um, but in my own writing, I, I tend to focus on lyrics a lot more lately. Which is which is kind of a weird, which is kind of a, a weird thing, and I'm I'm in that I'm in that same headspace that you used to be, and I think that I want things to be coherent and 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 complete thoughts and and make it you know make it comprehensible, um, at least for at least for some of my songs. It's it's an interesting line between being specific mm-hmm. and being restrictive. Mm. So you want lyrics that are specific enough to emote an emotion but you don't want to be something that's so specific that it sort of that it isolates and alienates the listener and sometimes with um protest songs especially mm-hmm. because they are protesting people can be just so on the nose and it can limit the 
to limit the impact, I think, because it just like no one wants to be preached at, even if it's about love, even if it's about anything. Nobody wants to be preached at because, you know, we all think that we're right and only I am. So <laughs> that makes it um, a bit more complicated for most people. But you know, and I think, you know, Blair Packman has talked about this, about being specific, about saying, instead of saying, like, I walked into the bars, I walked into that that seedy bar, or I walked into that bar on Dundas Street, or, you know, being that kind of specific. Mm -hmm. But you also want it to be open enough that other people can read themselves into it. And I think that's how people get more depth and more related to a work of art, um, as opposed to someone just sort of yelling at them or just... Yeah, I think sometimes now, which I didn't always do, um, I think it's maybe a trick that I've gotten better at, is that I'll think of, you know, I'll, I'll maybe write something that's very specific. Okay, this is what I'm trying to say. And then I'll sit back and I'll try to think of what is some kind of situation that is kind of like that. Um, and like the Roman, the line about the Romans was maybe one of those examples. Um, so mm -hmm. we were like Romans. So that's that's the way the song starts. Well, what do, what do people think of when they think of a Roman? Mm -hmm. And and I mean, I sort of finished it afterward, but I was in my mind, people were going to have some kind of reaction to the Roman metaphor. Um, like to me, it was supposed to mean that you walk the earth with impunity. Like that's kind of what the following lines imply from context, right? Yeah, or hubris. Um, um, but that was, a, that was an example where I, I thought about that and I, I stuffed the Roman metaphor in there because I thought it was an example of something that was sort of, would have a, an, an understanding across a wide group of people what it sort of meant emotionally to be a Roman and walk the earth. Um, but whether or not it connected, I don't know. And even if it didn't connected, I somehow switched from Roman to something else. And that would probably sound cool. It would be like yeah. me and the, you know, drop a caribou. I don't know what it meant, but mm. that sounded cool. <laughs> At least that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. It, it, it's a very strong opening. Actually. We were like Romans at their peak. Like that definitely conjures an image. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, the courses have a nice lift. Mm -hmm. which is important. Sometimes this kind of approach, you know, the chorus cannot be too different from the verse. It's not stylistically too different. It's not like suddenly you're, you know, changing the rhythm. It still felt within the rest of the song, but there was enough of a, a melodic and, and energy lift that the chorus worked as a chorus. You know, you knew what the chorus was, you knew what the verse was. And I think that's an important thing for any kind of song. Yeah, no bridge or anything, but the yeah, but the melody in the chorus is much more expansive than in the verse, and you hit higher money notes, and it's very, it's very much more sing-songy, um, perfect rhymes in the in the chorus. It, it 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 all, it all it all works together to really, um, set that section apart and really good. And yeah, and you've got like three repeats of the chorus with different lyrics at the end, which is kind of fun. Yeah, and and, and we were talking about titles frequently. before, like a title doesn't really come up until like almost the end. Well, to me, that was the predominant emotion yeah. um, of the song. And also, it suited the cover idea that I had. 
listening to this because I was just listening to it as I was uh, doing some work, and I thought it would be um, deliver without a fight, mm -hmm. which I think is a really interesting bunch of words. Like deliver without a fight, it's a very there's lots of action. Mm -hmm. Whereas protect the cubs is you know it's it's at the end. I've always said people are gonna when you perform a song, people are gonna call it whatever they're gonna call it. Like you can call it something, but people are gonna sort of say, "Oh, play that, um, oh, play that song. What's a, uh, the Deliver Without a Fight song?" You know, and then you'll know whether you're whether what the title should be, because people will call it whatever they're gonna call it. <laughs> yeah, well, I I guess I haven't had that experience yet, but um, <laughs> to me, this is a song about parenting, or it's 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 mm -hmm. about it's a song about being a parent, mm. yeah. and that that became very important to me. Um, sort of like I was talking earlier about how I, I slowed down my musical activity when my daughter was born. And that was one of the big impetuses to get back into songwriting is that I realized that there was no music that was speaking to me because, you know, I'm a parent now. I'm this person that works in an office now and nobody is describing that experience back to me in song. Mm. Um, mm. So I actually became sort of obsessed with like, looking around for songs from a parent's point of view and they are hard to find mm -hmm. um so when i wrote that song i knew it had to somehow reflect that it was a parenting song and so that to me is what protect the cubs is okay. signaling right yeah but at the same time I, I like i was saying before like it feels like you like that's where you started and that was the impetus for the song and it was the title of the song and it is very central to it, but at the same time, you kind of taken a step outward from that, and 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 it seems a little more big picture to me than than necessarily about parenting, because you really expanded the scope to climate change and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, but it, it, it it's it's the answer to the question: Why do we care? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting question about, you know, people aren't really writing songs about most people's everyday lives. I mean, you, you know, like I love Tom, Tom Waits, but most of us aren't living in a CD bar in the middle of <laughs> Texas, you know, um, on a three o'clock on a Saturday morning. You know, it's. But there is many people who talk about the the day to day grind, you know, of of uh, going to work. And although I always thought that song, um, "What if God was one of us?" Yeah, um, I think that's a good example that. of an everyday life. Yeah, um, but just but someone I, on but a bus, I, you know. I would categorize <laughs> that into a certain life phase, though. Mm. And so I noticed that there's a lot of people who are really good at that coming of age part of life well, because. Yeah. That's that's where a lot of artists live. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the some, audience lives. It's where a lot of the audience lives too. So I agree. They're speaking to their audience. But if you think of like successful um artists, that's also kind of in some sense where they stopped living. Because they, yeah. they, they did that coming of age phase and then they were successful. And you know, they they were no longer challenged as human beings <laughs> because they had money pouring in mm -hmm. and they just had to keep doing what they're doing. So emotionally, I think a lot, I'm not trying to accuse anyone of anything, but I think some artists get stuck at mm -hmm. that stage emotionally. And you'll see other artists um, 
Caroline Brooks is a, is a good example, I think, of uh, she's part of the Good Lovelies. And you listen to her solo album and it's it's the it's the stuff that I love. Like she's a struggling parent in some sense and it comes mm. out. Um, but I think that that it is actually legitimately part of her life. <laughs> mm. That's why it comes out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think you're right. That whole that whole middle class, middle age, middle everything. Like songs songs tend to be about, yeah, the extremities of growing up or maybe not, you know, getting that much older, but mm. you know, it, it's 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 those sorts of contents or, or or you know, falling in love for the first time or breaking up for the fiftieth time. <laughs> so one of my yeah. friends was telling me about the like the the new Blink 182 song is about, you know, the struggles of being back in high school. And when did they write that? They were probably like in their, you know, 30s, 40s. Oh, it's their new song. It's oh, it's their new, new song. song. Okay, okay. She just wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that's fine in the sense that they have an audience and, and everybody's happy. They're happy. Their audience is happy. And that's great. I'm not a fan of that stuff. That's not what I listen for. I, Gord Downey is, is a songwriter that grew up. If you listen to his lyrics, he's grown up with, you can grow up with Tragically Hip catalogs. Mm. If you were the right age, it has always been the right age for you. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. It's, it's, a, it's a find a niche like that. People are, you know, not writing about a certain phase of life or a certain approach and you know focus on that it's a great way of actually standing out from you know yet another love song or mm-hmm. well it's hard to uh, a song it's hard to find an audience though <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and then they say there's a, like like Bill was just saying like a niche there is a niche audience for this kind of thing because there are people like you that are living through those experiences in the world you know whether they're looking for new music. That's the that other question. question. Are they looking? For <laughs> or new whether music? they are? They maybe maybe they're all loving the Blink eighty Blink one eighty two stuff because it harkens back to you know fonder, exactly. better exactly. times, right? Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. But no. you know, I'm trying to follow the Rick Rubin rule that you got to make the art you want to make. Yeah, otherwise it'll suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to follow. You got to follow your path and 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 do what you do and do and do it well, which which clearly you're doing. So you know. Yeah, kudos to you. That's, that's that's a great that's a great approach and a great philosophy. Yeah, right. And 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 like you say, you're you're not bereft of ideas. Like you're 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 it constantly finding you know, <laughs> the nuggets to pull out. Right. Great. So you can work on your next album and call it uh, "Don't Make Me Stop This Car." Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll turn this car around. <laughs> Whatever yeah. you do, don't make me stop this car. Yeah. Remember when self-driving cars happen? Do they do they still get into fights about that? <laughs> that's true. Like, I don't know. I guess even with self-driving that. cars, the kids will still be like, "Are we there yet?" <laughs> self-driving car will be like, "No." Parents <laughs> would go, "I don't know." I have <laughs> no, no idea. The car's driving itself. I have no idea. Yeah, I suppose there's an awkward phase where you're old enough to ask that question, but you're not old enough to have a phone and see where you are on GPS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's right. GPS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll tell you precisely when you're going to get there. Uh, I love GPS. <laughs> so, Jason, what do you do to educate yourself on on the songwriting process itself? Is it just by listening to other people or playing other people's songs? Or I, I think I've gotten a lot out of doing like covers. 
Um, I haven't done them much lately, to be honest, but I, I've always enjoyed that process of digging into a cover and learning how to play it mm-hmm. um, and seeing, especially for chords and stuff like that. Um, like you mentioned Tom Waits before. Tragically Hip had never been like my huge inspiration musically. They've been my inspiration lyrically, mm-hmm. but I've covered Tom Waits songs because he's got really interesting chord progressions. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amy Mann also has really interesting chord progressions. And so I, I, I try to play those songs because I want to see how they do it. Um, and then, yeah, it's just studying lyrics and, and really trying to understand what, why they're good, um, I guess. And I think you learn in layers, right? So every time I would try to understand a song, I might pick up a different idea that, even though I've heard that song a hundred times. Are, yeah, yeah. uh, are you collaborating at all? Or is it mostly just on your own? Uh, I'm trying to do as much collaboration as possible now. Um, in part because I think it's really good for getting better. And, and two, it's really good from a career development point of view. I think, you know, you develop deep connections with people through that process. So, um, like it was mentioned earlier that I'm working on two albums this year, which I think is a little ridiculous, but that's what I'm doing. Sure. And I have a, a, a producer on each one um, oh. that I've hired to basically pick apart my songs and... Wow give me an honest answer <laughs> at, yeah. at things. And, and you know, they're very different musicians themselves um, and with their very different approaches. So it's been really interesting that one of them focuses on this type of stuff and one of them focuses on that type of stuff. But I've even cross-pollinated them now. And it was just sort of, I mean, maybe it's not coincidence that these two people actually knew each other, although I didn't really know that. <laughs> I don't know that, I don't think they've talked about me, but, you know, I mentioned one to the other. Oh, yeah, that's my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a small world. It's a very small world. It is. Wouldn't yeah, want to yeah. paint it, though. Yeah, yeah. Canadian, Canadian no. <laughs> uh, indie world. I don't think it's that big. Yeah. Well, we'll you would definitely look forward to um, to hearing your albums when they're, when they're released, both of them. Very cool. All right, I think um, that's about all the time we have on Song Talk Radio. Special thanks to Jason Pilling. Um, so where can our listeners hear more of your music? you got a website, right? Yeah, I have the, the website is, is really just kind of trying to be an introduction of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, listening platforms, I'm on all of the streamers, and I don't discourage people from using Spotify and Apple and stuff like that. I mean, people should listen where they want to listen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, basically wherever you listen, you can find me by my real name, Jason Pilling. Um, I'm, it's a reasonably rare name. If you type me into Google, you'll get me. Uh-huh. That's true. True. And we'll definitely, uh, put links to your, uh, your website and, and stuff like that on, on the show post, um, for this episode on songtalk.ca. And, um, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So please send your comments, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at songtalkradio. Or send us an email, feedback at songtalk.ca. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel for live performance videos and full episodes. Subscribe today for, to the Song Talk Radio podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And you can find links to all the products, books, and web services we mentioned on the show on our resources page on the website. And wherever you are in the world, please join us online via Zoom at our next monthly Song Talk Meetup. It's free to join on meetup.com and free to attend the meetup bring a song in a lyric sheet, and get constructive feedback from other songwriters. Stop by songtalk.ca for the link. 
You can follow me at neilmodi.com. You can follow Phil. PhilEmery.ca. And, and Jason, what's your, what's your favorite social media platform? What's your go-to? I'm most active on Instagram. Instagram. Everyone's an Instagrammer. All musicians are Instagrammers. I know. <laughs> That's where we are. we got to collaborate. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. And be sure to stop by the website, songtalk.ca, to browse past shows and find out how you can be a guest. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and keep on writing. Good night.